Well, a somber service, but uh, also a celebration of the freedom that you and I enjoy. And uh, all of us can probably connect to or relate to uh, very many people that have served and served us so that we might enjoy the freedom that we enjoy. I want to thank uh, President Calvin Kuzik from the Legion and for Mark Pascaletto. Why don't you give them a hand for their service as they uh, continue to serve? And uh, Bob Burry, I don't know if Bob's still here, but Bob also brought out the flag, so we're just so thankful. If anybody's ever served in the military or has family that has served, I want you to stand to your feet so we can just acknowledge you right now. If you've ever served in the military or family that have served, why don't we honor all of these people that have served us in the military, amen? Thank you very much for your service. You may be seated. I think of uh, my great uncles who served in the war. I think of my grandfather who served in the war. I think of many others that I knew as neighbors that served in the wars. And uh, just nothing but gratitude in my heart for the many people that have served. So self-sacrifice and the soldier's life. I was thinking about being a soldier, because I've never been one, but I think about the self-sacrifice that soldiers endure. And self-sacrifice means this, sacrifice of one's interests, desires as a duty or for the good of another. And if you're joining up in the military, uh, just think about what you're joining up for, because a great deal of self-sacrifice comes not only to those who join the military, but to their families. It's interesting to me in a, in a time in our world when we're fighting for our freedom at times, I want you to understand that in order for freedom to be maintained, somebody had to sacrifice some of their freedom. And it's kind of ironic when you think about it that our military f families uh, and the sacrifices that they make, you think about it, you get shipped off to a place where they must follow orders. Uh, maybe even engage in combat. They drop everything to defend their country and the rights of the people that are living there while giving up some of their own in the process. In, on deployment, they're not free to wander around and do as they please or sleep wherever they want to or eat what they want to or where and when that happens. And you think about their family's sacrifice back home. It's very real. Well, they are on long deployments. They are here, and they miss them over holiday seasons. They miss them over s certain times of the year. And uh, there is great sacrifice that comes from that. And even this last few weeks, we've heard of uh, Sar Sergeant Jamie Matteau, who died in uh, a motor vehicle accident while on deployment in Manitoba. His family is here in Mournville, and they were, he left them here when he was deployed in Edmonton. He left them here for his new deployment died in a motor vehicle accident. We know that the family's watching online right now, and we just want to honor uh, their sacrifice. These are things that happen all the time. So can you give them a hand, please, right now? So self-sacrifice is true if you want true freedom. You see, I think that God has a special place in his heart for this day it, because it moves the heart of God because it represents the nature of God and the self-sacrificing nature of God. 
You know, the Bible says Jesus was speaking. He said, blessed are the peacemakers and the peacekeepers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Because those who live in a self-sacrificial self mindset and way of living actually represent the heart of God. The Bible has an incredible weaving theme throughout it, and self-sacrifice is one of those themes. Just listen to a few of these scriptures. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, in the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And of course, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. What does all this mean? At the heart of the universe is one principle. Self-sacrifice is the highest act. It represents the heart and the mind of God. But, you know, God kind of takes self-sacrifice to another level, and we need to understand that. And that's what I want to talk about today as we look at this idea of self-sacrifice. Because God sent his son and sacrificed his son for you and I while we were his enemies. And that's the incredible thing about the self-sacrificial nature of God. We had no use for him, and yet he sent his son to die for you and for me. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the book of Romans, chapter 5. I'm going to be reading a large portion of Scripture, and, uh, but you'll be able to follow along. I'm reading it in a modern uh, message Bible language so that you can follow it quite easily. It'll come up on the screen for you. But let's ask for the Holy Spirit's help today. Father God, as we open up the Word of God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be here. Lord, I pray that you will uh, bless every military person here, every military family here, and bless us all to help us to hear your word, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you. And God, I want to thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start reading in Romans chapter 5 as we learn about this self-sacrificial God. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, God's enemies, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, so that now we're at our best, just think how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God. Amen. 
So while we were God's enemies, amen, he became our friend, and he came and he laid down the life of his son for you and for me. And even in war, there's been times when enemies have become allies, and in the Second World War, we saw that happen actually with uh, Russia. Russia was aligned with the Axis, they were aligned with Germany, and then suddenly there was a switch that happened and they became aligned with uh, the Allies, which is uh, our, uh, the other side of the uh, equation, obviously. Now, Russia, really that was interesting because they were once our enemies, but now they're our allies. But that happened uh, kind of for nefarious reasons. Germany decided to attack their ally and turn their cannons upon Russia. And so Russia said, okay, enough of this. We're going to join the battle against Germany. And so we can see at times that allies or enemies become allies. But even that we know was a very difficult decision, not for Russia so much, but for us to embrace them as allies. So what did God have to do in order to make his enemies, us, his allies? Because that's the question. Here's the first thought that came to me, is that he had to infiltrate the enemy's camp. Now, when you don't know, when you don't know that your enemy is actually your ally, how many of you know he has a long way to go to prove himself to you? And this is kind of what ended up happening uh, in the Old Testament. God kept trying to talk to people, trying to share with people, I'm, I'm for you and not against you. But yet there was this blockade. There was something that kept them from understanding. They didn't quite know what to do. So I was thinking about, you know, I kind of like war movies for those of you that know me. And I've, I've used different analogies from war movies. I love them because they represent self-sacrifice. And they represent honor, which are two values that I, I hold very dearly. And so I was watching a movie uh, a while ago called 1917. And uh, in this movie, based obviously on the First World War, two young British soldiers, Lance Corporal Schofield and Lance Corporal Blake, receive seemingly impossible orders. They have to break through enemy lines in order to get to the front to warn their commander that he's about to head into an ambush and 1,600 soldiers' lives could be lost, including Blake's own brother, who was part of that battalion. And so they go on this harrowing journey trying to get to the front lines before the, the battle begins to share the warning because communications have been cut down. And while they're traveling on this journey, uh, a German plane, a biplane, is shot down and crashes literally right in front of them. And um, this, the plane is quickly engulfed in flames. And Blake, in a moment of self-sacrifice, though this is his enemy in the plane, he runs to the cockpit and he begins to pull the German soldier out of the flames. Now, you would all think that's an amazing moment in the story, but then the story takes a terrible turn. And the terrible turn is the, the German pilot doesn't understand that this man is trying to save him. So he pulls a knife from his boot and he proceeds to stab Blake repeatedly and both of the men end up dying in the scene. And that's a picture of kind of what God is trying to break through to you and I and yet we're his enemies in our mind and our thinking and we can't understand it. And so what did God have to do? He had to break through the enemy lines and the way he broke through the enemy lines was he became a man. 
He came to earth and he became a man. And he became a man in order to show us how mankind is to live in relationship with God. And the number one thing that Jesus did when he came to earth was he, he revealed the father heart of God. He revealed that God was not against mankind, but that God was not only for mankind, that God wanted to be not only in relationship with mankind, but God was actually a father. And he was a good father. And so this is what Jesus was doing. He was displaying to the world, he was saying, your understanding of God as an enemy has been wrong. God is actually for you and not against you. And so this is what he does. He gets behind enemy lines to tell us the good news. And he changes our perception of God. It reminded me of the story of five young missionaries in 1952 in Ecuador. They went to the Akua Indian tribe. And the Akua Indians were fierce warriors. They were very small people, but they, they just nobody could ever in, infiltrate that, their area. And anybody who tried was often put to death. And they decided, these five young missionaries, very young men, probably in their mid-20s, decided we we're going to reach these people and tell them that God is for them and not against them. And so what they do when they found the tribe, they actually had a planes and they would circle the planes in wide circles and they would drop gifts down to the people and to let them know, hey, we're, we're not your enemies. We're not your enemies. Every day they repeated this for weeks, dropping these gifts down. And what ended up happening after a few weeks of doing this, they actually landed their plane on the beach and the, the tribesmen began to come out. Now, they could speak most of their language because of the tribes that surrounded them. And so they began this conversation and things were going quite well. The five young men were Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Roger Yadaren, and Nate Smith. But then something tragic happened after two weeks. Some of the young warriors gathered their spears and uh, attacked the young men that were on the beach, the missionaries that had come to share the good news with them. And though this is interesting, though the young men had guns and they could have defended themselves, they didn't. And what ended up happening is all five of them were killed. And their bodies washed up downstream a few weeks later. I'm going to finish that story at the end of the service. But the point was this. That in order for your ally to become your, your enemy to become your ally, a great deal of self-sacrifice has to happen. Well, what else did God do to help us know that he was not our enemy but our ally? Here's the second thing he did. He bridged the gap separating us from him. You see, Jesus not only removed the barrier of misunderstanding and, and enmity by coming and showing us that God was a good father, but then he had to bridge the gap that was between us. And we have a picture here of kind of what that gap looks like. And so there's man on one side and there's the gap and there's really no way across. And that's a picture of what sin has created. And, and so I need you to understand, uh, let's just go back in the story of the Bible a little bit. In the, in, in the Bible, there was this couple named Adam and Eve, and they were in relationship with God. They were created in the image of God. The Bible says they, they were naked and they felt no shame. They walked with God in the cool of the, the garden. Everything was going fantastic, and, and they had this incredible relationship. They were created in God's image. They enjoyed this relationship with God. They had the God's purposes in their life. But then they decided not to listen to God, and they chose to listen to the enemy of God the serpent, the deceiver. 
And then the moment they did, the Bible says sin entered into the world. And sin entered through this decision of Adam and Eve to take their own advice over God's advice and to try to live without God. And of course that sin caused them to cover up and hide from God, to hide from each other. It marred their identity. It broke the relationship with God. And it, it, it set their purpose in the wrong direction. And this has been the result of sin ever since. This is the chasm that you and I are separated from God and what we have to face. Let me read it to you, actually, from the same book in Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to carry on, and now I'm going to read verse 12 and 14. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma that we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everything and everyone, but the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out for us in detail to Moses in giving us the law. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses, even though those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who would get us out of it. And so sin, church, is this violation of the law. It's this violation of the rules that God has set. And it's not that God is mean and he set all these rules. The rules represent his good and holy intentions for mankind. The problem with you and I is we can't live up to the law. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can try all we want. I can tell you, you can go to church you can, uh, you can sacrifice your life. You can do all kinds of things to try and reach God, but you can never do it. You're never going to get there. It doesn't matter what you do. The distance is too far. So we have this problem, this gap that God had to bridge in order for you and I to receive the life of God. Well, let's read on in the book of Romans here and see what he did. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at a dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did wrong and got us into the trouble of, with sin and death, Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said to God, no, put many people in the wrong. But one man said yes and put many people in the right. Isn't that beautiful? So how did he do it? He bridged the cross and he bridged the gap with the cross. Let's look at that picture now. This is what he did. The cross becomes the bridge. And the cross, you're saying, why? It's such a graphic thing. It's such a terrible thing. Why did the cross have to happen? Couldn't God have just forgiven our sins? But do you understand the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay the price for sin. And that's what Jesus did. He paid the price. And he paid the price for you and for me. So the Bible says that the entire sins of the world were placed upon him. And really, how we activate that sacrifice in our lives is we come to a point of trust 
and believing that God would love us enough to do that for us, which we're going to talk about as we move on through this sermon. It's an incredible thing to think about the cross. You know, we think, why was such a visual death? Why such a torturous death? Do you understand the cross is a picture of the price of sin? Sin is utterly sinful. <laughs> we are so separated from God. We're so broken, you guys. We're so separated. We're so lost. And you think about over 2,000 years, the cross now has become a symbol, a symbol of this incredible self-sacrifice in order to rescue us, to bridge the gap between mankind and God. Incredible. I call it the Nike symbol of heaven. You know, you see the Nike swoosh, and you know exactly it's Nike. Everybody knows it's Nike. All around the world, they know it's Nike. I'm going to tell you, when you see the cross, you know what it represents. It represents Christ, and it represents his death all over the world. It's an incredible thing. There's a story in the book we're reading in The Good and Beautiful God in this chapter. It's the story of a guy named Brennan Manning and his friend Ray. So Brennan Manning and his friend Ray, they grew up in Brooklyn, and they just did everything together. They, they grew up together. They went to school together. They fought, you know, other people together. They double-dated other women. To, like, you know, they just lived their lives together. And then they enlisted in the army together. And so they were deployed together in the same battalion, and they were on the front lines, and they were in a foxhole on one of these battles. And uh, Brennan is sharing with Ray, and Ray's eating a chocolate bar, and Brennan's just sharing, reminiscing the time they grew up in Brooklyn and different stories, and, and uh, Ray's just listening and laughing. And uh, suddenly a live grenade is thrown into the foxhole where they are. And Brennan tells the story that Ray just looked at him, smiled, dropped his chocolate bar, and threw himself on the live grenade. The grenade exploded, killing Ray and saving Brennan. And that incredible act of self-sacrifice literally changed Brennan's life. And Brennan became a, a priest, actually, after that, and he became a great theologian. And so Brennan Manning... His actual, it's funny, his name wasn't Brennan. That was actually Ray's last name. But when he joined the priesthood, they said, you need to pick uh, a priest to change your name to represent your heart. And so he actually changed his name to Brennan to represent the sacrifice of his son, of his fr friend for him. Incredible story. Brennan said this, my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn or deserve it. Brennan is an interesting story and you can read many of his books and many people have been set free and brought into the understanding of the love of God through his writings. But he lived a deeply troubled life as well. The effects of the war affected him for many, for the rest of his life really. And yet the thing that he constantly held to was the love of God for a broken sinner like him. It's incredible. So God had to infiltrate the enemy's camp in order for us enemies to become his allies. He had to bridge the gap that separated us from him by paying for this thing called sin. And then the third thing he had to do was he bypassed the old way of coming to God and opened a new doorway to enter into relationship with him. You say, Pastor Greg, you already said that. The cross paid the price of sin and bridged the gap. But you understand we still have a problem. And the problem is this, the problem is the thing called the law. 
and the law is perfect and it's right and it's good, but any violation of the law, it's like you break the whole law and you're doomed. And so if the law still stands, then the problem wouldn't have been Adam and Eve, it would have been Betty and Greg. Because one of us would have broken it. Probably me. My wife's more angelic than I am, but I probably would have, you would all be sitting here going, what was Greg thinking when he ate the apple? I know, but it, you know, before you point fingers at me, just look at a mirror, because it would probably be your name if it wasn't my name. In other words, all of us are sinful and separated, so we have this big mountain now that's called the law that nobody can scale, nobody can get, bridge that, we can't do anything about it. How are we going to live up to this thing called the law? And it's incredible, this is what Jesus had to do next in order to make us his enemies, his allies. He actually does something incredible. He fulfills the law. And then he removes it. Now let me explain that in kind of a practical way. And you can read this in the book of Hebrews. I could have brought out a bunch of scriptures, but I'll leave it up to you to look for them. So in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that it's kind of like, you know, a will. When someone dies... They have a will, and their will kind of lays out their plan, how they're, all their gifts, everything they have in their will is now dispersed to people that they want to give the things that are in the will to. The problem is sometimes it also has qualifications. So in God's will for mankind, he has nothing but blessings, he has nothing but life and life abundant, he has nothing but all these good things. The problem is, the qualification is you have to live up to the law, and then I'll give you all these blessings. So this law stood opposed to us, guys, but here's the coolest thing. Jesus, who became a man, guess what, he was also God, and he wrote the law. So he wrote the law that he put over mankind, then he became a man and he fulfilled the law in order to eradicate or remove the law. That's a mouthful. <laughs> so what he had to do was he had to say, you know, somebody has to fulfill this so that the blessings of God can be released to mankind. That's what he did. And then he said to all of us, if you will but believe... The Bible says Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, especially those who believe. You see, the key to open up that blessing is to say, I can't do it on my own, I don't deserve it, I can't earn it, but Jesus has paid the price, he's eradicated the law, and now I can come into a relationship with God through him. You say, well, that's a mouthful. I understand, but let's read it. In Romans chapter 5, isn't the Bible amazing? It answers everything. It says this in Romans 5, it carries on. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin doesn't and didn't deserve, have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on and on and on. World without end. So this is the invitation. You've been invited into life. And every barrier that was between you and God, every barrier that was between you and the life that God intended for you 
has now been removed. This is what Jesus did. Listen again in Hebrews 7.18. This is talking about the law. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Amen? So do you understand the nature of the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Not only to remove the sin, but to remove that mountain called the law and to make a level playing field. And, and the book of Isaiah tells us that you know, the Messiah comes and he levels the ground. He raises up the valley and he lowers the mountains and he makes a level place where you can come into a relationship with God through him. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the New Testament. The band's going to return and we're going to have communion. You were given one of these little cups if you weren't. We can make sure you get one. I don't know if there's still somebody that can pass these out. If you didn't get one and you want a communion cup, anybody need one? Give us a wave. We'll get one for you. If not, that's okay. The band's going to return. You got to take half an hour to open this cup. It takes a long time. And this little wafer on top just represents the body of Christ. And church, listen, this body was broken for you and for me. Jesus died and surrendered his body, and the one body became broken so that we could become part of the body. This is communion. This is what we're celebrating every time we take communion. And so let's partake together of this body that was broken for you and me. And then on the night he was betrayed, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is a cup that represents my blood which was shed for you. And every time you partake of this cup, know that your sins have been forgiven. And know that there's a new way to reach God. And it's through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, the doorway into the presence of God. So church, let's partake together of this incredible gift. Now you're saying, Pastor Greg, how do I get in on this? How do I get in on this good news? It just seems too good to be true. That's why it's called amazing grace. It's not ho-hum grace. It's not mm, maybe grace. It's amazing grace. And God is saying for you, here's how you get in. Are you ready for this? It's really simple. Jesus is the door now. You don't have to climb the mountain of the law. Jesus is the door. And the door is a street-level door. And what that means is, whether you're laying in the gutter or you're on the mountain, it's right there. God meets you right where you're at. You do not have to climb up. You don't have to do anything. In fact, you can't. And so God's saying, I'm right where you are. I meet you right where you're at. And wherever you are today, whatever you're dealing with in your life, whatever you're doing with online, God is right with you right now. Amen? You are here. God is right with you. And he's saying, the door is open. Hallelujah. The door is open. Now, that's the second thing. Not only does he meet you right where he's at, but the door is open. It's an open door. You don't have to bang on the door. Jesus bangs on the door, and he says, open your side. This is the craziest thing. It's a, it's a locked door, but the lock is on your side. It's not on God's side. 
And he's saying, will you turn the lock? Will you open the door? Will you let me in? Guys, listen, it's a narrow door. You can't come based on your mom and dad's religion. You can't come because you go to church. It's you and God standing there. He opens the door. He says, welcome home. But it's a low door. You got to bow. You got to say, it's not based on what I do or fail to do. It's based on what he has done. Here I am. I'm walking through the door. And maybe you're here today. And maybe today is your day to say, I am walking through that door. And I'm going to tell you, you're crazy not to. I'm just going to tell you. Because, man, God is good. Amen? So as the band's getting ready, we're going to calm down just a minute because I'm getting so excited too. Okay, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. If you're here and you want me to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, then you need to walk through the door. We're going to bow our heads right now. And if you're watching online, you need to make a commitment. The Bible says that God says, I behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He who opens the door, I will come in and have fellowship with him together. If that's you here today, just open the door. What could keep you from the love of God? Only one thing, you. It's time to let it go. And it's time to trust him. And so I'm asking you today, if that is you and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I need to make a commitment in my life and I need to open the door. Symbolize that by raising your hand and give me a wave. Be bold. Jesus was bold for you. Yes, is there others that would join this? Yes, I see your hands in the back. Yes, I see your hand in the back. Are there others? Yes, I see your hand over there. Are there others that would join us in saying, yes, yes, I see your hand in the front row. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If you have raised your hand, if you're doing that online and saying, Pastor, I'm waving like crazy, but you're not seeing me online, I see you in the spirit. You're good. We're going to pray a prayer. Everybody who's ever prayed this prayer, if you raised your hand for the first time today, we're going to pray it out loud. If you want to say, open the door to Jesus, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you want to open that door right now, I want you to do this boldly out loud with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Now help me to live with him and for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give these people a hand clap today, amen. Hallelujah. Now, now do you want me to finish that story that I started? Okay, I got to finish the story. Remember the story I told you I'd tell you the ending of the story? I wasn't paying attention then, Pastor. Tell me again the story. No. Remember the story in 1954, the guys who went to save the, the, uh, the Akua Indians, and uh, they died going there. And here's part of the story that you maybe don't know. One of the dads of one of the young missionaries who died traveled two weeks later or two months later to Ecuador and with a whole group of, of uh, guides, they went back to that place and they found the young man who had speared and killed his son. And this man was a huge burly man and these natives were very small. And he went up to the man who had killed his son and he picked him up in his arms and he embraced him and he said, in Jesus' name, I love you. Do you understand that's a picture of the father heart of God? Our sins have killed his son. And he travels to us and he embraces us and he says, in the name of my son, I love you. Amen? What an offer from an amazing God that you and I have been given. The story doesn't stop there. Jim Elliott's wife and children actually moved to Ecuador 
And for the rest of their lives, her life in particular, they served that tribe of people and taught them about the love of God, though their husband and dad had died at their hands. Self-sacrifice, birthed out of self-sacrifice, this is the kingdom of God. Amen? Well, let's stand up. We're going to sing a song. We've got to sing a song. We've got to get happy now. We've got to get happy. We've got to sing a song. We, 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 we're celebrating, remember on Remembrance Day of the 11th of November, to, to turn on your TV, to go to a local legion, to celebrate together. But this has been your service of doing that as well. Oh, now we're going to sing a song in celebration of the ultimate self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Let's sing it together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Come on now. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Come on. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Christ a hand clap today, church family. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. 
Amen. You're going to go from this place now. If you need prayer, there's going to be some people that are at the cross that would love to pray with you. If you need prayer, make sure you avail yourself of that. Let me leave you with a quote for your week. As you choose to live a self-sacrificial life, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he will never lose. Jim Elliott said those words before he lost his life. God bless you, church family. This week we're reading the Gospel of John as our spiritual exercise. The whole Gospel, 21 chapters, three chapters a day. That's crazy, I know. You can do it, I believe in you. And if you don't do it, don't condemn yourself. You're gonna be okay. Amen? God bless your week, church. Join a Remembrance Day service on the 11th. Celebrate together. Thank somebody who served. Text them and say, we love you. We thank you for your service. Again, if you need prayer, go to the altar. Go to the cross. Amen and amen. God bless your week.